I am Plant on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Big Fight in Little Chinatown is the new feature documentary from the acclaimed filmmaker Karen Cho. It's also the opening film at Doxa, the Documentary Film Festival. The film screens this Thursday, the 4th of May, and Tuesday, May 9th. Visit doxafestival.ca for tickets and information, and do check back as screenings are usually added for popular films. This uh, film will no doubt be one to watch, as Vancouver is one of the three cities that Ms. Cho, who joins me now, features. The movie is about community resilience and resistance as Chinatowns across the United States and Canada face the challenge of the COVID pandemic and the rise of anti-Asian racism. Vancouver's Chinatown, along with New York City's and Montreal's, come into focus in this film as uh, Karen chronicles the challenges not just in recent years but historically. Chinatowns have always been a target not just of developers, police or governments, and as we see in the film, this is but the latest challenge. It does seem critical, though, especially now, so I'll ask Karen what's so special about Chinatowns and why it's urgent to save them. Karen Cho is the award-winning filmmaker of uh, In the Shadow of Gold Mountain, Seeking Refuge and Status Quo, The Unfinished Business of Feminism in Canada, and uh, not just at DOXA, uh, but at events uh, across the country. There'll be screenings between now and the fall in uh, Montreal, Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton, Toronto, and Ottawa, as well as Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Houston, with more cities and events to be added. The film will also be broadcast on Radio Canada and TVO. Visit BigFightInLittleChinatown.com. We taped this interview nearly two weeks ago with Karen joining me from Montreal. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online program, Karen Cho. Ms. Cho, good morning. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Um, when did you um, first have the idea to make this movie? Um, well, I mean, I have um, really deep family roots that go back to the beginnings of both Vancouver and Montreal's Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first film I actually um, ever made as a, a documentary filmmaker um, was a film called In the Shadow of Gold Mountain. It was about the Chinese Head Tax and Exclusion Act. And I shot that film in those two Chinatowns um, almost 20 years ago. Um, but the film itself also uh, played in, in Chinatowns all across Canada. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, you know, starting from 20 years ago, I had like a really deep kind of um, relationship with a lot of the Chinatown communities uh, in Canada. And, you know, fast forward like 20 years in, in the present, I could see how some of these places that were so special and I knew to be so vibrant you know, we're kind of in these periods of decline or in the case of my uh, Chinatown in Montreal, like a period of active erasure. So I guess it was kind of that that gave me the idea to to, want to make this film and and to really kind of come back to the community that, you know, essentially gave me my voice as a filmmaker, you know, to kind of really explore what was happening in the present day in Chinatown. So um, that's what kind of gave me the idea at the beginning. And then I went, you know, for the research of the film, I went to this, like, um, gathering of Chinatowns in, in New York. Uh, mm-hmm. It was in, in March of 2020. It was a gathering of, of Chinatowns against displacement. And, of course, you know, I went there and met a bunch of people from different, you know, six different Chinatowns. I met, um, you know, May Lum and Gary Lum, who are in the film, yeah. um, the, the owners of Wing on Woe. Um, but, I, of course, I returned from that trip, and three days later... You know, they shut down New York uh, for COVID and, you know, subsequently the, the rest of the world. So the whole kind of COVID story,
that um, unfold during uh, the filmmaking also kind of gave a real sense of urgency to yeah. the telling of the story because it exasperated like so many things in the Chinatown. Yeah, it, 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 that sense of urgency, I got that right away um, as I was watching the movie because I, I um, you know, it's what we've been living with for the last three years. Mm-hmm. And um, when the the uh, the rise of Asian hate happened, as it did over the last three years, um, your, your film really was it was, it was uh, I was going to say changing, but it, it, it's uh, sort of evolved into something different as well, didn't it? Over, as you were making the movie, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. At the it was so weird how. At the beginning, you know, uh, you know, COVID happens at the beginning of my research, and, and I initially thought, okay, I'll just wait this out and you know yeah. start filming in a couple of weeks. And of course, that didn't happen. But then all the kind of um, you know, COVID played out in like really brutal ways in Chinatown mm. in particular. Yeah. Um, like already, I when I went on my research trip, it was you know November of 2020, but you know Chinatown, or sorry, March of 2020. But Chinatown had—I'd uh, never seen Manhattan's Chinatown so empty. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the neighborhood had already been stigmatized. Um, people weren't going there. You know, it, it's just funny how these historic neighborhoods in North America get associated with like a new disease coming out of China, um, and and they become stigmatized. So, you know, uh, COVID. Uh, you know, aside from the regular health concerns and and you know business shutdowns that everywhere kind of um, experience in Chinatown the neighborhood was stigmatized so the tourism and a lot of the you know business of the neighborhood kind of dried up and then there was this kind of you know vandalism and anti-Asian violence that just kind of you know there was like an uptick in in that and a resurgence of that so in the present day I could see this parallel to what was happening in the present to like the beginnings of Chinatown, like like these places that were kind of built on racism and these places of sanctuary for communities that were marginalized. And then of course like in my own Chinatown in Montreal, um during COVID, during this really kind of precarious time for the neighborhood, developers of course descended onto the neighborhood and, and bought up uh the most historic block and in our neighbor or in our Chinatown, uh-huh. and it was happening in several Chinatowns. You know, like these developers kind of taking advantage of the vulnerabilities of the community at this very specific and really hard time. Yeah, and so this is a, this is a narrative that someone says in your movie that, that's happened over the years. I mean, they, they use the excuses of you know urban blight, um, uh, you know, the, the the trope of gentrification and development uh, bringing something better or new to to a neighborhood that's declining. Say. Um, so someone in the film says that, that, that there's an ebb and flow, but but this time in particular seems uh, particularly dire, doesn't it? I mean, it, 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 it's the actual survival now of, of um, the Chinatowns, whether it's in Vancouver or in Montreal or even New York City. Um, it, it seems that if if it's uh, changed dramatically as it's planned to. Uh, it'll never come back again. I mean, in your sense, in the research, you know, looking back in history, have you seen it as, as bad as it is, you know, as it's been in the last few years, say? Well, I mean, for sure, you know, the, the kind of COVID years, you know, gave extra challenges to Chinatown. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, like when I started the film, you know, I was, you know, 
reading a bunch of these kind of news stories about the you know the death knell of Chinatown, yeah. you know Chinatown's dying, all of these things, the kind of doom and gloom stories, and also all um, you know like this narrative that we're all fed that gentrification is this kind of natural process that happens in the city, sure, yeah. you know, and then being on the ground like with the community and, and seeing firsthand what's happening there, like I realized like that's not the only part of the story or the only side of the story that you tell. Like there there is a a deep history of survival and resilience in, in the Chinatowns. Like, like, you know, these are neighborhoods that are often hundreds of years old. And the community from the very beginning has been fighting for its survival and has always found ways, uh, you know, these tactics to survive, these ways of kind of evolving in a way, um, you know, to, to bring the Chinatown into the future. So, in a way, I, at the beginning of the film, I was really un, unhopeful. I would say, especially yeah. in the in the you know the depths of COVID, when I would you know we we shot at a dim sum restaurant in my Chinatown that I'd never in my life ever seen empty, mm. uh, and never seen without like a, a, a lineup for an hour long, you know, outside the restaurant. And we went there; it was empty. They they had frozen all the dim sum. Um, which is something they'd never done because it was always made to order and there was always hundreds of people in the restaurant and, and you see this place empty. And and I remember thinking, oh my God, like we're going to lose our Chinatown. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as, as things got on and there's also been this kind of, um, it, it's like a real moment for, for the kind of Save Chinatown movement and, and the movement in, in general like Chinatowns are talking to each other. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of grassroots community organizing that's happening around Chinatowns and people realizing that these are spaces that we've taken for granted is, is always going to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, a lot of community has come back, you know, to, to say that, you know, that these are places that we care about, places that are important. And these, you know, businesses like legacy businesses or the family associations, or the cultural things that happen in Chinatown, like they're important and they're important to maintain. And, and we don't just want to see, you know, um, shiny new buildings and shiny new people. Like like the stuff that has existed in this neighborhood um, for generations is, is important. You know, it's not only the, you know, the, the, the buildings that are important, it's the intangible cultural heritage that are that is in those buildings. So, so, you know, yeah, it's a very challenging place for Chinatown, uh-huh. but it's also, there's a lot of hope, you know, and, yeah. and there's a lot of ways that um, the the neighborhood has, is defending itself and is, and is moving into the future, you know, and that's why, like, in the film, I try to focus on some of these um, multi-generational legacy businesses yeah. and what they're doing to kind of take the best of the past of the neighborhood um, and bring it into the future and, and breathe new life into these old things. That, that's what um, May Lum says towards the end of the film. You know, instead of just wiping out everything that's old and, and, um, and bringing in something new, what about taking the best of what's there already and, and making it better and making it more um, accessible and, and, you know, letting people know more about it as in terms of a revitalization plan? Because, you know, like, Today, arguably, you know, you could get like bubble tea anywhere. Oh, sure. You know, yeah, you go to yeah. Chinatown, you could get Chinese groceries or Asian products anywhere. Like, you know, in the 80s, maybe that wasn't the case. Earlier on, you'd have to go to Chinatown for those things. But, you know, these are neighborhoods like 
there are family associations that have been there for a hundred years. There are people doing lion dance, uh, you know, these traditional things that have been there for, for hundreds of years. In the case of my tiny town with the Wings Noodle Factory, you know, there, there's like fortune cookies and noodles being, you know, made in the Chinatown for the past almost 100 years that are still being made there today. Like, like it's much more important for me, even as a tourist visiting these places, like that's what I want to taste. Like the authentic fortune cookie that comes from the Chinatown versus some chain store, you know, version of, of the thing. Yeah. You know, so I think sometimes looking into Chinatown's past is actually the key to unlocking its future. Yeah, you know, for, for, for both, you know, people that are, have a family connection to Chinatown, but also for people that are just kind of tourists and wanting to, uh, to visit interesting and vibrant neighborhoods in the city. Yeah. The, um, uh, speaking about the, these, these businesses that have uh, taken on, say, new life with, with, with uh, subsequent generations taking over, um, it, it, these are marvelous stories because you get a family's history, essentially. Uh, as you're telling um, these stories and talking to these these young people who've stepped up and 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 taken over the businesses, um, there one can't be um, hopeful, uh, anything but hopeful, I should say. Um, you know, I, I think of Camwai here in Vancouver, which I'm a big fan of, um, and and what they're doing, not just to survive, but but to, to really feed a community down here, right? Yeah, no, I mean, and, and Tamai is such a great example because, you know, they, they were arguably the biggest success story to come out of Vancouver's Chinatown during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, like, why is that? It's, it's because their business model is like a community-serving business model, right? Like, they're not there to serve uh, rich tourists. They're, you know, they're, they're making affordable food in a neighborhood where people need affordable food. And, and so successfully so the fact that they remain in that neighborhood and stay in that neighborhood and are committed to you know affordable food means that that they become an anchor for the neighborhood right they they become a a a, a thing of stability in people's lives where you know that are very unstable sometimes yeah um and and they they're super successful like the everyone loves them and you know and there's something to be said and William Liu, the you know the owner of Camwai, um, is really committed to, to this. But there was something that he said to me, and it wasn't in the film, but it really stuck out for me. Was this idea around like dignity of being able to pay for your own meal, mm. you know? And, and you know, um, Vancouver Chinatown is, is part of the downtown east side. There are a lot of marginalized people, be they Chinese or not, in that neighborhood. And there's a lot of people that are, you know, there's a lot of line free things in, in that neighborhood. So to be able to have five dollars and pay for your own meal and, 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 and a good meal, you know, to be full and maybe to be able to have some to take home or to share with a friend, like like that means a lot to people that live in that neighborhood. Um, so you can be successful with a business model that looks to serve the people around you versus serving outside people who might be rich and, and drive fancy cars. But are these the people that are actually sustaining the neighborhood? You know, it's, it's the residents of the Chinatown that keep the Chinatown alive and that help with the circular economy of, of the place. And especially, you know, the film un- unfolds during COVID. We all know what happened to tourism during yeah. COVID. Yeah. And if you base your Chinatown model around tourists and the needs of outside people, like like as soon as something happens, um, 
your your neighborhood is going to fall apart because you're not actually thinking about the people that live in the neighborhood and their needs and their wants. Mm. So I think, you know, Camway is a great example of a business that, um, you know, making things affordable is, is actually like a, a recipe for success, not not only for the business itself, but also for the for the residents and the people around the neighborhood. It, it helps for them to be able to also keep living there because they can actually afford the food in their neighborhood. And and someone else says this in the movie that that um, you know as we've seen say say people leave uh, and and this has happened historically say in Vancouver's Chinatown and not just Vancouver I should say but but other big cities where where um, the, the the people who live in Chinatown leave for say the suburbs um, they develop their own community say um, there uh, with their own shops their own bakeries and their own their but but it's not the same is it. Um, you don't have the same sort of community or, or the same sort of um, the, the feeling that, that a Chinatown um, provides. And I think, yeah, that, I think that's that, important that we don't lose that, I guess, right? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, of course, you know, there there are meanings in, in places like, you know, like Richmond or, sure. or out in the, in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, like in, in the historic urban Chinatown, it's like there's, there's family associations that have been there from the beginning, right? Like, like that helped the railway workers and the head taxpayers and all these people who um, were really marginalized, you know. And, and I knew that generation um, of folks who, you know, you would cross the Chinatown gate and get beaten uh, on mm. the outside of the neighborhood just for being Chinese, right? So, so there's, um, you know, layered meanings in, in the neighborhood that aren't necessarily the same in the kind of newer uh, Chinatowns or, or the kind of ethno-burbs or whatever you, you want to call them, is where it's more kind of a transactional, I guess, um, relationship. Like you go to the strip mall, you, you buy something, you go yeah. home. Versus Chinatown, it's like you go there, yes, you buy things, but you also, you know, you visit your grandparents. You go to the family association that has been supporting, you know, uh, you know giving mutual aid to the community for, for decades and decades. Like there's there's a part of finding yourself in that neighborhood and your sense of belonging. But also, like, you know, like the film happened during COVID, during this crazy amount of anti-Asian racism, where pretty much anyone who was Asian or looked Asian, you know, was told to go back to their country, right? So, And, you know, at the same time as their, like, 200-year-old neighborhood called Chinatown was being erased. So to me, like... Chinatown itself, the historic urban Chinatowns are a kind of testament to the fact that our community as Asian Canadians or Chinese Canadians has been here for a very long time. And, and and we have also contributed to the building of the country. And when people tell you to go back to your country, like very often for people like our village, our family village uh-huh. is Chinatown, right? It's like I don't, uh, or a, uh, someone that I was filming with, um, told me this line that really stuck with me is it, this idea that I don't um, necessarily relate to China, they said, but yeah. I relate to Chinatown. And a lot of people, you know, Chinatown is that touchstone. It, it's a place to get that kind of sense of belonging. It, it's this kind of intangible thing. But when you're in Chinatown, because it's this place that was so, you know, historically for people that were marginalized and not accepted anywhere else, there was always this kind of feeling of a place 
to belong in the neighborhood. Mm. And that continues into the present day. You know, I, I have friends who are adopted, you know, into white families. The Chinatown is a kind of touchstone for them to, to reconnect with a, a part of themselves that they don't necessarily even have at home. I, I know other people who have lost connections because, you know, their grandparents have died or, or you know, the, they've lost language with the older generation of their family, but Chinatown is still this place that they kind of return to um, to get a sense of family or to get a sense of community. Yeah. So it continues to have meaning into the present, even though there are lots of Chinese people and arguably more Chinese people um, or Asians living outside of Chinatown than inside the Chinatown itself. But the place still continues to have meaning for so many different generations of people. In, in the movie, you take us to, to um, I believe it's the Wong Community Association here in Vancouver, mm-hmm. um, the, the historic, uh, you know, a building that, that, that um, we learn in the movie has been there for, for over, you know, 110 years. Um, you go up those stairs and, and you see what's inside there. Um, and I understand that... Um, uh, you got to um, learn about, a, say, a family member or someone in your family who had um, who had been there for uh, years ago. I guess is that right, or had been part of the organization? Okay, yeah. Well, part of the film, yes. There's there's a there's a kind of montage sequence in the film where we actually visit several family associations. Mm, so right. so we spend a lot of time in the Wongs, but we also go to the. Um, the Yushan Association, which is just next door to the Wongs, actually, the Han Sing, um, where the lion dancers are. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, yes, they, they took me there on purpose. It was, it was Fred Ma in Vancouver. Um, because I, you know, I told them my last name is Cho, and my, you know, my grandfather was like born in, in, um, Vancouver's Chinatown. My great grandfather was a, a kind of well known figure in Vancouver's Chinatown. And because of my last name, they knew. That uh, that's the family association I, I belong with, and it's actually it's not a family association; it's a an association of of like villages, like five villages, or or that were in the same area of Toy mm-hmm. So when we went up in there, yeah, I had a, a picture. Ironically, it was of my um, my grandfather's CI forty five certificate, and that's the thing that all, anyone who was like Canadian born um, Chinese had to register for uh, 100 years ago this year because it was the you know the chinese exclusion act uh, was happening and and all um chinese uh, whether you're canadian born or not you, you know you needed like a piece of id not to get deported or whatever so mm-hmm. i had a, a scan of, of my uh, grandfather's certificate and i brought it up into the, the family association that i'd never been into but right away you know like they see the spelling of the name and they kind of know, yeah, like you, you belong with us. So it's kind of an amazing place. And, and at any Chinatown you go to, if you have Chinese lineage, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you say your family name, you show the spelling, and and the kind of the folks in the Chinatown, they know, okay, you belong with these guys or you're with this association. And you kind of go in there and right away you're kind of family. Yeah. It's amazing. And, and this is, like, you can't make that uh, up, you know, in a yeah. way... This is the kind of thing that urban planners dream of when you're thinking of neighborhoods or like this idea of like the quintessential dream, you know, Dean Jacobs neighborhood when you know your neighbors, there's a sense of kind of community on the street and like all of those amazing things exist in Chinatown like to this day. And it's the kind of thing that, you know, really we would want to replicate in other places of the city, you know, these kind of human scale neighborhoods. 
um, where, you know, you know your neighbors, you look out for your neighbors, and there's a vibrant kind of street life and cultural life that really keeps the neighborhood vibrant, uh, alive, but also, like, you know, safe in the sense of, you know, like, knowing the people around you and, and having a, a life on the street instead of an abandonment on the street. Yeah, I, I thought that these places, especially the ones here in Vancouver, were places where, where um, older people went to, say, play games and, and, you know, read the newspaper and sort of just hang out. But, but as, it's, as it's said in your movie, um, these, are, these are organizations that have provided, say, social services um, to the community and for people who um, didn't have families, say, um, for over 100 years. Yeah, no, that's right. And I mean, of course, at the beginnings, you know, like as with all the kind of racism that existed, you know, the Chinese yeah. weren't allowed to have bank accounts, they weren't allowed to have medical services. So, you know, they played a much bigger role in terms of the social services. Mm-hmm. And now it's more of a kind of, you know, social gathering place, as you mentioned, for seniors and things. But there's a lot of um, intergenerational kind of exchange that, that's happening, especially at the Wongs um, in Vancouver, you know, there's a kind of newer or younger generation. Uh, Jeffrey Wong is in the film. He's the vice president of that association. I think she's, you know, like barely older than 30. Um, but, you know, they revitalized the old language school there. Mm. Uh, the Youth Collaborative from, from, for Chinatown does a language lessons, and they're, it's actually not for children anymore. It's for adults or, or older folks looking to reconnect. You know, with their with their senior members of their family, excuse me, or to be able to, you know, um, go into Chinatown and talk with the shopkeepers or with a you know basic kind of language skills. So there's all sorts of amazing things coming out of these family associations, like intergenerationally. Karen, there are um, a, a number of beautiful images in the movie, a, a lot really. Um, uh, some of my favorites uh, have to do with food. Um, this is a terrible question to ask you, um, uh, to, to pick, uh, say, a, a favorite place that, that you ate at during the making of this movie. Do you, have you got anything that stands out in terms of, say, if you had the chance to go there right now, uh, what would you, where would you go and what would you eat? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, that that is a really hard question to answer. I think, I mean, there'd be probably two places. Um First of all, all the places were amazing, yeah. and, and, you know, food is so much of the, you know, the experience of Chinatown and the, the intangible kind of a heritage of the place also, so it was important to have that in the film. Um, at the very beginning of the film, we go down into Hop Key, which is this kind of mainstay in Manhattan, Chinatown. On Mott Street, and right? On Mott Street, yeah, that's right. And uh, so so Peter Lee is the, the owner there, and there's a kind of slow-mo shot of him carrying out these three dishes of food. Um, and, and they're talking about, you know, like if you lose your neighborhood food, you lose the neighborhood. That, that's kind of what yeah. he's saying. But one of those dishes is, is this kind of, um, well, they call it uh, Peking um, pork there. And I think up in Canada here we call it like Shanghai pork. But anyway, this is an amazing kind of sweet and sour style pork dish. Um, that I grew up eating, it, 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 it's awesome, like these kind of pork chops. Yeah. But the one in Hot Key was just, I don't know, like they just elevated it to this amazing level of amazingness that like once I'd had the dish, I craved it for a whole year until I came back and <laughs> ate it again. Um, and, you know, and, and Peter kind of whispered to me, he's like, yeah, the secret is 
uh, we use black vinegar, you know, for the, in their sweet and sour kind of sauce. And he, uh. and he showed me the, the bottle of, of, you know, the brand that they use. Um, so that was such a special dish. And, a way, and it's such a Chinese-American or Chinese-Canadian-style yeah. dish. But it was something that I grew up eating in Montreal. But in New York, it was just like they just had this twist on it that was amazing. And, um, and of course, you know, I like Tamwai dim sum yeah. in Vancouver. Um, you know, they make frozen dim sum. We see the, we see the skill of the folks who, you know, are, are in the back of that restaurant folding all these dim sums. But like, I had, I had it with my crew. Their hagao is amazing. Um, they, they have such amazing, affordable food. These buns, they're, they're so delicious. But it, it's also amazing that, you know, in the back of this kind of Chinatown shop in Vancouver, like, unbeknownst, I think, to the majority of folks in Vancouver, it's like Camway supplies um, dim sum to almost all the fancy hotels in, in yeah. Vancouver uh-huh. and a lot of other, you know, grocery shop chains and all that. So chances are if you've eaten dim sum, like, anywhere in any hotel in Vancouver, you've eaten these amazing morsels that these of talented women and men in this, you know, the back kitchen of this little Chinatown shop have made with their own hands. And yeah. often the kind of executive chefs or the folks that go on to be in the kitchens of these kind of fancier places, they were all trained at Camwai, like under the Sifu who, who's there in the in the yellow apron, uh, kind of talking about like this need to put love in your dim sum. Yeah. So yeah. Of course, like at Camwai, you you. You taste that love, and I, I and it's it's you'll know it when you taste it, but it's this inexplicable thing where you're kind of sitting in the neighborhood and with people who are so much in community with each other, um, eating this this food that um, kind of brings you back, you know, to your childhood, to your past, to you know, past dim sum experiences, but also kind of gives you hope for the future. Yeah. Like, like like this is what the future can taste like what it can look like um if we actually you know put priorities on on these kind of things you know legacy businesses affordable food all of this stuff um to keep a neighborhood alive yeah i i um i was quite moved by by many parts of the movie but but i i left the end of the movie i should say um really feeling hopeful and um i think that's what um someone says at the end of the movie that 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 um um, these are fights that continue generation to generation, and the reason for for survival, I guess, changes as well with each generation. But um, it, it's really up to, to to the people themselves to decide, you know, um, why they're fighting and, and and what they're fighting for, right? Yes, yeah. That was Henry Yu, who who says that and he captures the kind of essence of, I guess, you know the Chinatown fight, because it is an existential fight. It, it's, a, it's a generational fight. But it's this idea of fighting for something that that matters, um, you know, fighting for a place not just because you want to make money on the place, yeah. but because it has a deeper meaning to, uh, to you on a cultural level, on an identity level, on a belonging level, and also on, on a city level. Like, like what kind of neighborhoods do we want to survive into the future? Um, and what do we want uh, the future of our city to look like? And, and me, I hope it's something like a Chinatown, that that's human scale, that's a place for, 
lots of types of marginalized people to be able to, to live, exist, and afford to be yeah, in the city. The, the, um, the, there's a song that, that we hear in, in, near the beginning of the film. Um, it, it's a cover of Stranger in Paradise, um, uh, um, and, and we hear it over the credits. Uh, I'm curious to know, um, I had to look it up. It, it's by a group called the Cathays, is that right? Yes, that's right. It's, it's a doo-wop group who came out of a New York Chinatown in the 1960s. So it's like a Chinese-American group singing Stranger in Paradise. Um, and that this was like a real conscious decision like the editor and I had for the film and, and for the soundtrack of the film. You know, we really wanted to embed these Chinatowns as they are, like in North America uh-huh. and in the history of the cities that they're in. So, so much of the soundtrack in the different Chinatowns, it's like, you know, Chinese American music or Asian Canadian music, but music also of the Chinatown. So, so that song, Stranger in Paradise, by the cafes, it comes straight out of Manhattan's Chinatown, like in the 1960s, and it's like, well, I mean, it's, it's a very well-known song. Uh, yeah. Tony Bennett sings it, but it, you know, it, it feels American the way they're they're singing. It feels of the era, and it, you know, and, and it's people from that neighborhood who created that music. Yeah, it's just a beautiful. As the film opens and we hear that, it, it sets the mood, if you will, and and it it, it harkens back to say that era. Of the, I, I can't remember when the song came out, but the fifties or the probably um, I was going to say the sixties, but it's probably earlier than the sixties. Um, and it, it's just a great piece that you use uh, in the film, and then as we hear it in full over the credits, I decided to just delighted to, to to come across this this version of the song in your movie. Uh, and, and the music, the, the rest of the music as well, the original music, I thought was really um, added to, to the film in a way that I, I guess I, I didn't expect in a documentary, if you will. Yeah, well, I mean, of course we had, you know, um, a very, very talented uh, musician to do also the score for the, mm-hmm. for the film. So uh, apart from, you know, like the music that we licensed, um, uh, you know, like our our composer just, you know, he took it over the over the top and... And not, you know, I didn't want, like, urhus and gongs and things to make it seem yeah, like a yeah. foreign place. Yeah, I yeah. really wanted it to feel kind of very grounded in North America and, and bring out uh, or highlight the, the kind of emotion that, that was happening. But, yeah, I mean, in um, in Montreal, we licensed um, a, a pretty famous song from the 80s uh, by uh, Luc, uh, Luc Laganière is, is his name, um, but about... The, the Chinatown, and he's, you know, a, a Quebecois yeah. kind of uh, a singer, but it was important for me also to have a French song in there. Um, so, because in Quebec, you know, especially our we're, we're, Montreal Chinatown is the last surviving Chinatown in Quebec, the last Francophone Chinatown in all of North America, and it was really important, I think, for me to have the Quebecois audience realize that this neighborhood is also theirs. Right, like like we're yeah. part of Quebec, and it's important to see us as part of Quebec, not apart from it. You know, and so having that French Quebecois song in there was also really important. Yeah, that's a great song too. It it does sound very eighties, and yes, uh, yeah, <laughs> and it it just adds to to as you you run it in the film over these 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 images of say what it was like then. Um, you really got a sense of, of uh, you know, the the time that you're talking about in that period of the film. Um, I, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed the movie and, and so appreciate you taking the time to, to, to speak um, 
to me about it today. Um, I guess uh, other than Doxa, people can see this on, on TVO later on. Is that right? Yes, but I actually um, I should mention, and this is something that I'm so excited about, and it, it's starting with Doxa and continuing. We're actually doing a community impact tour um, with the film. So, so it, it, it's you know like we're we're kicking off this kind of tour. I guess it's like a North American tour. Mm-hmm. With Doxa, like the opening night at Doxa, but the film is going to be in community. We're calling it the 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 coast to coast in community tour. The the film is coming to Chinatowns and, and different communities all across Canada, um, yeah, uh, very heavily in, in May and June. So we'll also be back in Vancouver in Chinatown in Vancouver. There, there's a Cineplex Odeon in the Chinatown. Yeah. On June 3rd, we're going to have a screening with the community, you know, so all the folks who were in featured in the film will be there. Uh, we're going to work with the different organizations and family associations and with uh, UPC um, to put together this screening um, that will be for the community and, you know, have an even deeper kind of uh, discussion around uh, Chinatown and really bringing, kind of localizing the, the, the themes in, in the film. So this will happen all across Canada um, or in North America as well. And, uh, well, the film has a website, bigfightinlittlechinatown.com, and, and we've got, like, all the screening dates there. It's going to be on TVO, as, as you mentioned. You can stream it on TVO's website. Uh, there's going to be uh, virtual screenings um, and, and different film festivals uh, in different cities as well. So, so it's starting, you know, May 4th um, uh, with the opening of, of DOXA, and then we're ju- we're going to continue with the film, so it's, it's so great to be able to bring the film back into the communities that you know gave yeah. their stories for the film, and and to also bring it to other Chinatowns. Yeah, you've got um, the dates in Winnipeg, San Francisco, um, Edmonton, um, Houston, Toronto, Montreal. Uh, you know, throughout uh, all the way through uh, the summer as well. A big uh, fight in LittleChinatown.com is a website. People should check that out and. and find uh, dates um, wherever they are in in the United States and in Canada. Uh, Karen, thanks again for this. Congratulations. It's a beautiful movie and, and all the best. Well, thank you so much for your interest in the film. The website for more is at bigfightinlittlechinatown.com uh, and, and it'll screen this Thursday, the opening night film of Doxa, the 4th of May and again uh, Tuesday, May 9th. Visit doxafestival.ca for tickets and information and as well as uh, subsequent screenings, it'll probably be added for uh, not just popular films, uh, but uh, one would expect Big Fight in Little Chinatown. It's uh, filmmaker Karen Cho joined me on the line from Montreal and Vancouver. I'm Joseph Plantev.